John chapter 21, the first 14 verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. Then, excuse me, they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and at that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of the fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fishes likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we would ask now that you would open up your word that we might behold Christ, how that we are to trust in him, and how that he, as our Lord and Savior, as our God, yet serves those whom he died for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as I shared in the prayer, this is a very interesting section because the Lord, who is creator of all things, we yet see him serving his disciples, and I think that's very interesting. So I've titled the uh, this morning's sermons, um, Fed to feed. The title is Fed to Feed. And so I think by the time we're done here, you'll appreciate what I'm talking about. Jesus is feeding his disciples. They have fed on him that they may go out and feed others. So the scene opens here in the first two verses of John chapter 21. It opens on the Sea of Tiberias. And that's an interesting um, name for that particular body of water because it has three different names in Scripture. It has the name Gennesaret, which we read about in Luke chapter 5. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. But in the Gospel of John exclusively, it's referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. It's referred to that on three different occasions. Um, and only in the Gospel of John is it referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. Now, I'd mentioned to you a long time ago that the reason I wanted to, us to be in the Gospel of John during this particular time in the history of the world is because I want us to ever appreciate that God is sovereign over everything. Well, Tiberius was named after Tiberius Caesar. Caesar in the scripture occasionally represents Satan, and in the context of what is set before us here, I believe he represents Satan. 
Um, Tiberius means from the river God, from the river God. So I want us to appreciate here that Jesus is going to do something indicative of what he's doing in the world. He's going out into the world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. And so in the scriptures, in a um, allegorical sense, he is referred to as the strong man. And there's a parable set forth in, in scripture, and I think it's in the book of Luke as well as Matthew, about how a strong man's house is plundered. It is um, pillaged. Somebody comes in and takes the, the goods of the strong man. The saints are like those goods that are scattered out in this world that Satan is ruling over this world, subordinate to God, of course. And the Lord goes out into this world and he plucks his people out from all over the world and brings them unto himself. So I want us to see that when we're looking at John chapter 21 here. And so in the Gospel of John, Jesus ever shows himself to be God. He is sovereign over everything and he will go and take his people from wherever he chooses to under any set of circumstances. He chooses to. So Jesus is going to plunder Satan's house. And so we have this uh, body of water referred to as uh, the Sea of Tiberias. It's also referred to in other places, as I said, the Sea of Galilee. Galilee means circuit, and Jesus' ministry, as you'll recall, began in Galilee, and it's going to end in Galilee. He's going to have made actually multiple circuits throughout um, Israel where he has been preaching the gospel and pulling his people out of um, false gospels, out of, uh, out of the world, uh, have those people having worshipped false gods, and he's going to bring them unto himself. So uh, before I get into John chapter 21, I want to go back to Luke chapter 5. It should be very obvious to you, having, uh, our deacon having read uh, Luke chapter 5, that these, um, these accounts are almost identical to each other. They're very much in parallel, but there's interesting differences between them that I want us to um, appreciate. So in Luke chapter 5, I'll walk through that a little bit here. In verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which means heart. So here it's identified as something different, but it's the same body of water. So naturally, it would be easier for him to teach or preach if he got out a little bit from the shore. So he's going to get in this boat, and he's going to get out a little bit from the shore, and the people are uh, gathered on the shore, and he's going to be able to speak to them. Verse 2, And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So in um, Matthew, it's said that they're washing their nets. And um, also in... Um, that's probably in Mark, where it says that they are mending their nets. So um, Simon and his brother Andrew are washing their nets, and James and John are actually mending their nets. So there's clearly a problem with the nets. Now, the Lord is going to be teaching to them, and he is going to uh, call his people unto himself. And at the end of this episode, or this um, encounter, um, this teaching of the Lord... Um, he's, the people are going to leave their nets. So there's an issue with these nets, and I want us to appreciate that these nets, I believe, represent false gospels. They represent false gospels. Um, and there's a reason for that, and I'm looking at my notes here. Um, oh, let me, let me um, before I get ahead of myself, I want us to keep in, something in view here. One of the things that we should appreciate, we know these are fishers of men, and we know that they made a living fishing. However, you won't find anywhere in the gospel where they actually catch any fish unless the Lord is with them. So the Lord is teaching us something here um, by virtue of that fact. They never catch any fish unless Jesus is either personally with them, and in both cases we see that he's actually directing them and telling them what to do. Back in John 15, the Lord said that he was the vine and we are the branches, and that without 
him, we can do nothing. So it's in the context of ministry. Without him, we can do nothing. So that's on the negative side. On the positive side, in Philippians 4.13, the Lord tells us that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. So that's the positive side of the same, of the same coin. Without him, we can't do anything, but with him, we can do all things who strengthen us to accomplish the things that he wants us to do. The Bible also asks the question in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 2, 16, he asks the questions, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to go forth into the world and preach the gospel? Who is sufficient to open the Bible and to teach the things that are therein? The answer is, nobody is. No man is absent Christ working in them and through them to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're going to see that with respect to these um, fishermen, because they never catch a fish unless the Lord is uh, with them. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is a picture of salvation. We read, For by grace are ye saved through faith. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. Faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody is saved by the works of of the flesh, by the works of their own hands. In verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So salvation is a gift. God gives that gift of faith to whomever he will by virtue of his grace. There's nothing in man that would earn that salvation. And not only that, but God has ordained certain works that we would be engaged in and we would accomplish on his behalf. So the Lord says very plainly in Matthew chapter 4, with respect to these men, as he calls them, he says, I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't proffer to them, hey, how would you guys like to enter into the ministry, leave down this work that you guys aren't very good at? I know it's the only thing you know how to do, but how would you like to go into ministry? He doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And that's what God does. He takes his people and he puts them in ministry however he decides to do it. We've talked about that in the past, that you don't call yourself to the ministry. You don't call yourself to be a pastor. You don't call yourself in any of the ministries that we see set forth in scriptures. God calls you to them and he places you in them according to the gifts that he gives you. So we see in verse 5 here of Luke chapter, um, verse 3 of Luke chapter 5, it says, and he entered into one of the ships with Simon and with Simon, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, he's teaching the people out of the ship. What is Jesus doing? He's fishing for men through the preaching of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 47 through 50, the Lord tells us what this is all about here so that we don't have to, we're not left guessing as to um, what represents what. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. In Matthew 13, 47, the Lord is teaching a parable, and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. So the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Where are they? They're in a ship. They've got a net, and it's like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels but cast the bad away. So there's a sorting process that takes place 
in terms of what the people are doing here. Verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Lord is setting forth here this parable that we would understand that the preaching of the gospel is like casting a net out. It catches lots of people into it. And some of the people that it catches into it are not actually Christians, but they think they are because they're in the boat and they're taken to shore. And then when they get to the shore, of course, they're divided. Some are cast into the fire and then some are brought into um, uh, vessels. And that's what the Lord teaches also in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So we can appreciate that in the church you have wheat and tares, you have um, fish that are going to be brought into glory and fish that are going to be cast aside. In Matthew seven twenty-one, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there are people that are in the church, they say, Lord, Lord, they would say that Jesus is Lord. But he says, they're not, not all of the people that say that are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, the Lord is working through the hearts and minds of certain people uh, to do uh, ministry, to, do, um, to give him glory. But not through everybody that is in there. Because those people are not working according to the Lord's will. They're working according to their own will because they are still self-willed. They have not been regenerated. In verse 22, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They've been doing all sorts of ministry, thinking they were doing the Lord's will. Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the Lord is saying that I never had a relationship with you. I don't love you. I did not die for you. And therefore, I had, because I do not know you, depart from me because you are workers of iniquity. So the Lord is setting before us a warning, not only in this parable, but also in clear language of Matthew chapter 7, about two types of people that the net gathers in. In 2 Peter 1.10, we have a wonderful admonition. In 2 Peter 1.10, he says, Brethren, give diligence... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, were you truly called of the Lord? Were you truly regenerated? Make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. You shall appreciate that you are, in fact, in Christ. So that is something that uh, he tells us to do. Make your calling and election sure. In 2 Corinthians 13.5 is a similar admonition where the Lord says, um, Examine yourself whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. In other words, were you called? Are you in the faith? Do you love the Lord? Do you love his son? Do you love his word? Do you love his brethren? Um, prove your own selves. Know ye not um, your own selves how that Jesus is in you, except ye be reprobate. In other words, if Christ is not in you, you've not been regenerated and you are uh, not accepted by God. So anyway, in any event, we have these wonderful admissions set before us here, which we see bear themselves out in this parable because we see that they're, he's going to tell them to cast the net out and it's going to gather in all kinds. So the Lord is fishing for men through the preaching of the gospel and he's giving the disciples an example of what they are to do. In verse 4, we see in Luke chapter 5 that he tells them to go out, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a drought. 
So he gives them instructions about what they're supposed to do. And here's where you need to take about three or four steps back from the Bible to look at the big picture here. Recall back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it talks about, I'll read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we have in the beginning here, in the first uh, two verses of the book of Genesis, God is setting a spiritual picture before us here that we're seeing act out here in so much as Christ is in the boat, moving across the surface of the deep, put that in quotes, and he's telling them to cast their nets in there. Well, in Genesis, it's the Spirit, and here we see that it's actually Jesus doing it. But in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 2, we get this idea, or the Lord tells us, that he's the one who's kind of directing the Holy Ghost what to do, working through the disciples to do what he's told them to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, he's, uh, I'll read verse 1 first. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, that would be Jesus, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus has chosen his apostles, and then the Holy Ghost indwells them, and Jesus is directing the disciples through the Holy Ghost to go out into the world and preach the gospel and to do the things that he wants them to do. Here he's in the boat. He's telling the disciples what to go do. They're fishermen, and he's telling them what to go do. So there's a wonderful lesson that is set before us here. We should appreciate that um, he's directing them what to do, and they need to trust and obey. And this is a good lesson for everybody. The disciples are going to have to learn this lesson many times, and he's going to teach it to them again in John chapter 21, and he teaches it to us quite frequently. We are to trust him, and we are to obey. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy steps. So in verse 5 here of Luke 5, that's exactly what we see take place. The Lord has told them in verse 4 to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. drop. And then Simon answers and said unto him, Master, this is his understanding. We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. In other words, this is not going to work. I know it's not going to work. I've been fishing my whole life, and we've tried all night, and there's just there are no fish to be caught today. But he says here, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, my, my understanding is that this is not going to work, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to obey you, and lean not on my own understanding, which he's then going to do and uh, appreciate um, that that was a good thing to do. We see in verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. If you look at the Greek there, it means that the net continued to break. They were, um, the nets were forever needing to be washed and repaired, and that's why Jesus found, found them either washing their nets or mending their nets. It doesn't mean that the net broke and the fish got away. We don't know that any fish got away because it says that the, all they were brought into the ships and then um, that's where we, uh, where we leave them. So it's to be understood as the nets continued to break, and that's in the imperfect sense. Um, 
So the next lesson we learn here is that they, because it's so full, they beckoned unto their partners, which came to them and helped them draw the fish into the boats. And so we can appreciate how in ministry it's important for us to have a cooperative relationship one with another, that we would help each other in the ministry because the Lord uses people to um, minister to his sheep and that load, that work is to be shared by all of the sheep in various ways. So we get down to verse 11, we see that there's an unknown quantity of fish, and we should appreciate that. There's an unknown quantity of fish because that's going to differ from what we read about in John chapter 21. And we see when this concludes, the disciples left all with Zebedee, who is the father of James and John, and Zebedee means endowed of Jehovah. So they've left those fish in the care of Zebedee, and he's going to deal with the fish um, according to um, what the Lord will set in his heart. So... Now we're going to go take a look at John um, 21 because there's interesting contrast here. In John chapter 21, as I said, this opens at the lake of uh, the Sea of Tiberias, and we see that there were seven men that are in the boat there. And verse 3, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. So they're going back to do what they did before the Lord called them to uh, the ministry. Now, we should appreciate that the Lord had told them that after his resurrection that he, the Lord, was going to go to Galilee. Um, and so here they are in Galilee. It's in Matthew 26, 32. In Matthew 26, 32, this is on the occasion when the Lord is, uh, it's immediately prior to his uh, betrayal, prior to his death and resurrection, and it's the occasion where he's telling Peter that um, he's going to deny him three time, times. In Matthew 26, 31, Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before thee into Galilee. So he's telling them that after the resurrection, he's going to go into Galilee. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, the Lord reminds them of the same thing. In Matthew 28, 10, I'll pick it up in verse 9. This is immediately after his resurrection. It says, and as they went to tell his disciples, in other words, that the tomb is empty, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid, Go tell my brethren, and we should appreciate that it refers to the disciples as his brothers. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and yet he's calling us, those whom he died for, as our brothers. Tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. So he's telling them again, go into Galilee, and that's where you're going to see me. Now, in Matthew 28, 16, and 17, and I'm giving it to you, I think, in the chronology in which things actually take place. Uh, in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And as I shared with you, they're not doubting that he's the Christ, but they're doubting what they should do. And he's going to tell them what they're going to do. He says, Jesus came to them and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Here's what I want you to do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. As I shared with us last week, that means to teach. Immerse them in the teaching of Christ. Teach them what things I have taught you. So go out and teach. Remember, that's where he was in the boat with them. He was teaching the people on the shore. That's what I want you to go do. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He has to be, because without him we can do nothing, and we can do all things through Christ Jesus with strength in us. So he's promising them that he's going to be with them. He's telling them what to do. He's given them the Holy Ghost, so they ought to be able to go out and do the things that he has asked them to do. So here we are now in John chapter 21. And so the question is, why, aren't, why haven't they gone out into the world to teach and baptize in the name of um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? This is during the time in John 21 here, during the 40 days spoken of of Acts in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. There it says that the Lord was with them and seen of them many times for a period of 40 days where the Lord spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. So he's, they saw him many times, but in John chapter 20 here, 21, it's the third time. So I would say the second time is probably when he was on the mountain with them and said, go. And they did not go. Um, and he's going to encourage them to go here in this meeting. In, in uh, John 21, 15, he's going to tell Simon, hey, go out and feed the sheep. Um, and he's going to tell him to shepherd the sheep. And then in verse 17 of 21, he's going to tell him to feed his sheep. Actually, verse 15 is feed my lambs. So he's going to encourage them to go out and help them appreciate that, yes, I'm going to be with you because I'm with you here right now. I've told you to go out, and I've told you to go out and fish for men, and I'm going to be with you right here. So in verse 3, we can appreciate that they're not going to catch anything without Christ because that's the way it works in the Scripture here. They're not going to catch anything. He's going to again teach that lesson that without him they can do nothing, Again, referring back to uh, the, uh, when he's speaking about himself as the vine in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. Not only can you do nothing without me, but when you're with me, you will bear much fruit. Not just a little bit, but you're going to bear much fruit. So here we have a picture of the disciples, which would include us as Christians, going out into the world to proclaim the gospel. So just like we saw in Luke chapter 5, we're seeing in John 21 the same picture that took place in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, where the Spirit of the Lord moves upon the face of the deep. And so the Spirit of God is going to work through the Lord, works, excuse me, the Lord works through the Spirit in the disciples, in you and me, to go out in the world. We go about this dark world as lights and preach the gospel. In this scene, Jesus is on the shore, and that's going to represent heaven because that's where the fish are going to go. So Jesus is waiting for the spiritual harvest to be brought in in this uh, parable here. It's actually take place, but it's teaching spiritual truths. Now, we know in the scriptures that in this context, the people, the lake, the sea here rather, represents the great masses of people out in the world. In Isaiah 57, verse 20, the Lord says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So he's talking about the sea 
and helping us to appreciate that it represents the great masses of people. And Isaiah there, the context is wicked people. In Revelation 17, 15, again, he tells us this similar thing. He's John, the apostle John is given a vision and the Lord is interpreting the vision for him. So in John, in Revelation 17, 15, he says, the water which thou sawest where the whore sitteth, and there is, he sees a woman riding a beast, and the w- woman is described as a whore. On her head is written Babylon mystery religion. The, the, the waters that you saw this woman sitting on are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And we should appreciate that, that this is from whence all the saints were fished out of and drawn from. You and me, we were all fished out of this. So we get to verse 5 here. The Lord has called out to them in verse 5 of John 21, and he says, Have ye any meat? Now, God is sovereign. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows they haven't caught anything. He simply wants them to appreciate that they have not caught anything because he's trying to press a point home that you can't do anything without me. So he presses at home. He always knows what's on our hearts and he helps to open our hearts to ourselves to reveal to us our sin and our inadequacies absent him. So in verse 6, after receiving the answer, no, we don't have any meat, Jesus gives them directions. And in these directions, he's telling them, Cast the net onto the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Not like maybe the fishing's better over there, but you put the net over there, and you will find it. Well, why would he say the right side of the ship as opposed to the left side of the ship? Well, that comes from Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33, the Lord talks to us about separating the wheat from the chaff and the sheep from the goats. In Matthew 25, verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Now, here we have the resurrected Christ in his glorified body on the shore. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. Verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. So he's telling his disciples, guess what? The sheep are on the right. Cast your net on the right, and there you are going to find them. So again, appreciating uh, um, God drawing his people out of this world and separating the sheep from the goats. Now, what is going to happen to the fish that he catches? Every one of them is going to be brought to the shore. In John chapter 6, 44, the Lord had taught this, that no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. God is going to direct the fish that are caught in that net. He's going to bring the fish into that net, just like he drew the animals to the ark of Noah. You ever wonder how all those animals got to the ark? God drew them. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So God's going to draw the fish into that net. And then in John 6.37, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All the fish that I want to come into that net, all the fish that the Father gives me, they are going to come to that net. And it says, And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. 
God knows where the saints are. He knows which sheep are his. He knows which fish are his. And they're all going to go into that net. And this net is not going to break. It's not even an issue. This net is going to bring them all to the shore. And so we should appreciate that with respect to what it says in Romans chapter 10 about God sending preachers. And he brings people to the preachers. It works both ways. He's bringing the gospel to people. He either brings the people to the gospel or brings the gospel to them. In uh, Romans 10, 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in, of him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? In other words, I will send a preacher, I will send the net out to these fish, and the net will come around them, and I will draw them into the net. God will get all of his people, he will lose none of them, and they shall all come to him. And from this, we can understand what is written in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. That is a verse that is typically taken out of context. In there, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. In other words, he puts up with things for a very long time. He is long-suffering to us word. He's not long-suffering to everybody. He's long-suffering to his saints, to his elect. He is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God will get all of his elect. Every one of them will repent and none of them will perish. Again, from Romans chapter 2, I think it's verse 4, Know ye not that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. This is all a work of God. If there's any question what it means here about long-suffering, he says in verse 15 of Second Peter chapter 3, The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So he's, salvation is brought to us word, and every one of us, if you're a saint, have repented, or will repent when the Lord brings you in. So we see the doctrine of election take place here because there, it turns out there are 153 fish. The net is not broken. Every one of them is brought to shore. Not one of them is lost. Now in verse 8, it uses a different word than it uses in verse 11 with respect to drawing the fish. In verse 8, it says, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. That Greek word there uh, has built into its meaning that it's with violence. Um, it is with force. And sometimes we can appreciate that how God has dragged us into his kingdom and the Christian walk is difficult and bumpy as we struggle and we fight against the Lord. Um, but he will get us to glory and he does. In verse 11, it says that Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land. That's a different word, Greek word. Uh, word there, and it's more to be understood in a, in a more gentle fashion with a specific view in mind that he's drawing them to um, the Lord. Um, so the difference in the words there help us appreciate the Christian walk um, and that these fish represent uh, Christians. Now, in verses 7 and 11, we see that they have labored all night. Peter has labored all night, and yet he has the strength to cast himself into the sea, swim to the shore, and draw the entire harvest out onto the, um, onto the shore. Um, again, picturing people that are actually brought into uh, glory. We should appreciate in terms of the ministry um, what the Lord writes in Isaiah chapter 40 about we draw our strength from him, that he gives us the strength necessary to accomplish the good works that we have before been ordained 
to walk in, as we read in Ephesians 2, um, 10. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, he says, He, that would be Christ, giveth power to the faint, or to the saints, to the elect, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. In other words, we're not going to labor in the flesh, we're going to labor in the spirit to accomplish the things that the Lord would have us to do, and he's going to give us strength to do that. Even the youth shall faint, that would be people that are strong in the flesh, they're going to faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. In other words, if you're trusting in your own strength to accomplish this, you're going to fall. Verse 31, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with eagles, with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The Lord will give them strength to accomplish the things that he wants them to do. Now in verse 9, we see that when they come to land, they see a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. This should make them think about what they did in John chapter 6, where they had fed 5,000 people with fish and bread. They had a few of these things, and the Lord had multiplied them, fed 5,000, and now the Lord is going to feed them. So the Lord provides for his people, enabling them to minister according to his will. Minister according to his will and not our will. As a matter of fact, being self-willed is something that is disqualifying for a steward of God's people. He says that in Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. So a man that is self-willed is not to uh, minister unto God's people because he's going to minister according to his own will and not according to God's will. Now, what we're seeing here is a picture of the church in terms of the disciples in the ship and uh, bringing God's um, harvest unto himself. In Proverbs 31, I'll pick it up in verse 10, it speaks about the virtuous woman, which represents the church. And we see a parallel here. In Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. A good woman is hard to find. That's what the Lord is saying. And when you find one, she's essentially priceless. Well, let me tell you who can find a good woman. Christ can find a good woman uh, because he takes us and he cleans us up and we shall be presented as a chaste virgin unto the Lord. Verse 11, the heart of her husband, which is Christ, doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Verse 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Verse 14 is our interesting parallel. She, the church, is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. Where does the church get their food from? We get it from Christ from afar. And what do we feed people? We feed them bread. We feed them the heavenly manna. We feed them um, Christ. Verse 15, she riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. So we go out into the world with food from afar, which is Christ, and we feed people the bread of heaven. Um, if you go to church and you go home hungry, it's because you have not been fed, either that or you're not interested in, in that food. But Christ must be fed to his people. Now, we see here in verses 9, 12, and 13, we see Jesus now who is in his glorified flesh serving his disciples. And I find that a most extraordinary thing. We see him serving his disciples. In Luke chapter 12, the Lord is teaching a parable to his disciples, which, of course, 
is about himself. He's teaching about himself, which is what the entire Bible does. It always teaches about Christ. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, he's telling his people to always be ready. He says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. In other words, may the light of Christ always be shining from you. Verse 36, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. So we're supposed to be out doing the Lord's work right up to the point where he comes. It's a blessing to be found actively engaged in the Lord's work when he comes. Verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. The Lord is returned from the wedding and the Lord of the house is serving the servants. Verse 38, And if he come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. <laughs> What are the disciples doing? <laughs> They're fishing. <laughs> they have not done what the Lord has told them to do. And nevertheless, he still serves them anyway. He's teaching them a wonderful lesson here about how uh, patient and loving and how long-suffering he is. So he does for his disciples uh, what he would ha certainly have us do for others. But it shows, again, his love and his commission for the disciples that he is indeed going to use them, and they are going to go out into the world, and they are going to feed his lambs, shepherd his uh, sheep and to feed his sheep. Uh, and so even though they have not done what he has told them to do to go out into the world, he's nevertheless going to encourage them. And he proves to them that he is always with them. Lo, and I will be with you even unto the end. So the Lord is with them. He comes out to them. He tells them what they need to do here. And so we see these wonderful lessons um, taught to us. Now, with respect to salvation, when you look at comparative religions about the world, and I certainly haven't looked at all of them, I can't find any of them where it shows the Savior of men serving men, where it shows God Almighty coming down, humiliating himself, humbling himself, and serving his people. And this, of course, the Lord does because he loves them. Even after he has gone through the grave, even after he's been dead, buried, and resurrected, and sits on glory on high, we still see him here serving his disciples um, and it, with long-suffering, uh, with patience, and indeed with love. And the whole gospel is wrapped up in that, certainly, because we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners. There was nothing in us that would merit, uh, merit his love or his favor, and it was while we were sinners that he commended his love towards us. He reconciled us to God when we were yet his enemies. He died for us when we were ungodly and without strength. He has loved us from before the foundation of the world. He loved us all the way to the cross, into the grave, and his resurrection, and he still loves us in glory. He shepherds us, and he feeds us, and he will make sure every one of his elect gets to glory, even if he has to drag us all the way there. Keep in mind that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, he is the expressed image of his person. So all of the love and uh, patience and long-suffering that we see in Christ is a revelation of the way God the Father is towards his people. Some people want to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God, and Jesus is the expression of that. And as Scripture says, to him be all the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.